The following podcast is a She Did It and SydneyNanberg.com production. Welcome back to the She Did It podcast. My name is Sydney Nanberg, and I am the creator and founder of She Did It and SydneyNanberg.com, your self care and mindset resource. If you are listening to this, thank you because you are committed to investing in your own personal growth and development, and I appreciate you being a contributor to this community. My intention is to consistently share valuable information and lessons to help you live a fulfilling life. I want you to come here looking for inspiration and leave with the tools you need to take on whatever it is you are going after. Achieving fulfillment starts with taking the first step, and you're doing it. Hey guys, it's Sydney. Today we are talking about how to make something from nothing and I am so excited because I have a very special guest. Her name is Jennifer Payton and she is an absolute inspiration. Jennifer grew up in a poverty-stricken area in the Appalachian Mountains. She lived in a shack of a house and survived mostly on food that was either grown or killed. She was constantly rejected for being the poorest of the poor but she found a way to conquer her fears and obstacles. During her search for a better life, she graduated from college with three degrees and is now married with two children and a successful business of her own. She has proved that anything is possible when you put your mind to it. Jennifer is the founder of the Coffee and Creativity blog and certified email marketing and sales funnel specialist. At Coffee and Creativity, she coaches overwhelmed entrepreneurs and helps them to create a high-impact business using email marketing, profitable sales funnels, and intentional planning. She is quite the go-getter and a great example of someone who never gave up. So grab your notes because this is going to be a great episode and let's dive in. Welcome, Jennifer. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and to be on the She Did It podcast. Oh, no problem. So excited to be here. So so for those listening who don't know who you are, can you give a little quick intro? I can, yes. So, of course, my name is Jennifer. Um, I'm originally from a super small poverty-ridden town in Appalachia. Uh, Currently, I live in northern Ohio with my husband of seven years, my kids, my two wee dogs, and Sally the Salamander. Um, I graduated college with degrees in toxicology, biology, and chemistry. I currently own two businesses. Um, I'm a small business strategist helping overwhelmed mompreneurs and I own an Etsy shop where I make handmade clothing. That's amazing. How did you get into that by the way? The Which one? The, hand, the handmade clothing. In the actually, shop. actually my mom was a seamstress. She worked in a sewing factory, one of the last sewing factories left in America. Um, and so she made most of our clothing and she taught me to sew. I used to have my own little sewing machine beside her. Um, And so when I had my first baby, I was trying to find a way to make an income at home and I knew Etsy was really popular. So I started doing embroidered clothing and then I kind of moved from embroidered clothing into handmade clothing just because embroidery took a lot of time to set up and um, design and handmade clothing was a lot quicker and a lot faster. And I didn't need as much machines and as much maintenance to go along with that. So um, I don't do it as much now. My stuff is mostly ready to ship. But um, yeah, I love I love making clothes and I make most of my kids clothes now too. So it's it's really exciting stuff. Oh my god! And do they, do they uh, do you think they'll learn 
learn how to do it? And do you think they'll want to uh, try to make it th- make clothes themselves also? Well, my son, he's three and he already tries and it's terrifying. Oh <laughs> my I know. <laughs> he he tries to press the little pedal because right now I don't have um like a specific place that I sew. So I kind of just set up at the kitchen counter. And so he can reach the pedal, but he can't reach the machine. And so he'll come over and press the pedal. And so um it terrifies me because suddenly I'll hear my machine going. But yeah, he tries and he'll try to help me cut. So he has his own little rotary cutter that doesn't have a blade on it. Um, and so he gets his own little piece of fabric to cut. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh my I gosh. Know. So you you might have a little, a little assistant with you. I know, I might. I'm not entirely sure how much help it's going to be, but. <laughs> He's probably better than me. Actually, when I was, um, I think I was in eighth, seventh, sixth, seventh or eighth grade. I can't remember which. I went to a a, uh, a camp. It wasn't a camp. It was more like an educational program in the summertime um, in Boston at Wellesley College. And I signed up for a fashion course. And I actually met one of my best friends uh, in the in the class. And so we had to learn how to design and make our own clothes. And I think I broke about three sewing machines. Oh, and then no. there was a fashion show at at the end and I wasn't chosen for the fashion show my my clothes my whatever I made it didn't make it make the cut uh so you definitely he's probably your son is probably a better assistant than I would be but I've tried uh clothes before I really like the design aspect but the the sewing part I really I just really struggled with really I'm it, it's definitely something that once you learn the tricks, it's not so hard. I can, now that I have like my system, I can whip up probably, I made, I think like 20 pairs of leggings this morning. <laughs> just once you have your system down, I know. Well, I also use a serger and a serger goes super fast compared to a sewing machine. So yeah, once you have the correct system and the correct equipment, it's really easy to just go and keep going. That would actually come in handy to be able to make 20 le- pairs of leggings in one morning because um, I actually, I like to run and I wanted to go uh, for a run early this morning, but this, these past two weeks have just been packed with appointments. So I haven't, I, I haven't actually done my laundry. So, um, and I like to wear leggings when I run rather than shorts. And so I looked in my drawers and I was like, I don't have any leggings left. It would be really convenient if I could just sew up a pair of leggings right, and yeah. make them and then go for a run. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty... I'm pretty notorious for making like outfits for my kids and I before events, especially at church. And I, we go in and they're like, yeah, you, you definitely ma- just made those, didn't you? Because <laughs> everyone just knows I make all the kids outfits. That's creative though. I like it. So tell me, what was your life like growing up? Because you have a really interesting background <laughs> and, uh, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit, but for everybody listening, um, I think that they'll be interested to hear um, what it was like for you. Um, yeah, so I grew up um, in a very rural Appalachian town. Um, my mom and I lived on $6,000 a year. Um, my dad died when I was three, so he was never really in the picture, just obviously because of that. Um, but our our house was basically a large shack. I mean, it, it, it had floors and walls and ceilings, um, but it didn't have things that a normal house would have. Um, our floors were actually like hard wood, like it wasn't finished. You could get splinters if you slid the wrong way. Um, 
we had a couple outlets in a few rooms. So I have no idea how our house didn't burn down because we had extension cords literally everywhere. It was like extension cord to an extension cord to a surge or protector to another extension cord. No idea how we managed to like not burn down the house. My God. I know. <laughs> wow. Um, we got our first shower when I was in high school. I was a freshman. This was a very monumental moment in my life. <laughs> we got the shower, so I remember yeah. that. Um, we only had wood stoves in our house, so the only form of heat that we had were from these these stoves. Um, we would have to put wood in them, start the fire, and that the radiation of the heat is what kept us kept the house warm in the winter. We didn't have a furnace. We didn't have vents. We didn't have anything like that. And you all, we all had curtains in all the rooms so that whatever room mm -hmm. we didn't want to be, you know, we would have to try and kind of section off the heat. And almost every morning in the winter, I would wake up and my shampoo would be frozen solid <laughs> because the bathroom just wasn't top priority. Oh and my God. That's crazy. People always laugh at me when I tell them that. I'm like, I'm telling you, it was always frozen solid because we would have to, you know, we'd have, my bedroom was obviously important and um, we had to keep, yeah. Which, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the bathroom was not as important and my shampoo was always frozen and cold and it was miserable. Um, let's see, we had, we didn't have any hallways either. So our, my house was room to room to room and the bathroom was actually in my bedroom. <laughs> if anyone needed to use the bathroom, they had to go through my bedroom to get to it, which was highly annoying when I got into high school. And our house yeah, was, no, I yeah, it was, it was, it was a little, we didn't have doors either. Well, a couple of our, well, our bathroom had doors, but most of our rooms didn't have doors. They just had curtains that you would pull closed. I honestly don't know why we didn't have doors, to be honest. Um, and our house was always deteriorating because we, I mean, we didn't have the money to, to, you know, put in new stuff and to fix stuff. And my, my mom and her first husband bought the house. Um, I think they paid $5,000 for the house. And at the time, I think it was five acres that went with the house. So they paid like $9,000. I found the deed in the, in the house for how much they paid for it. So we didn't have a house payment um, or anything like that. Um, but we just didn't have the money for repairs. So we had um, our roof was constantly leaking. When it would rain or snow, we had buckets all over the house to, to um, catch the water. We had huge, and I'm talking huge holes in the ceiling. Um, I remember snakes actually falling out of these holes because we had horrible mouse problems. And so when you have mice in the South, you also have snakes. And so we had all of these snakes everywhere and you could hear them slithering at night and it was terrifying. No. That's, what did you do? Did you, like, if you found them, like, did you just kill them or sweep them out? Like, I know, like, we get snakes down here in Florida, obviously. And and my grandparents will tell me sometimes they'll be outside. I live in a condo, but um, in their at their house, like they'll see them outside, like coiled up, and they'll get a broom. And I don't know if this is the way to do it. We're we're from the Midwest. We don't really have any snakes, and they'll like hit it like a like it's a golf ball, and it'll like go flying across the street. How do you guys handle it? <laughs> we we actually always had like a garden hoe because we had like rattlesnakes and copperheads. And I mean, obviously you, if those bite you, they're, they're poisonous. Um, so we would have to kill them. So we would just yeah. chop their heads off and then remove them. And if they were, a lot of the snakes would be huge. I mean, they'd be five feet or longer and 
if we found them outside, oh, we would actually call. No, it was terrible. My sister still sends me videos because she knows that I'm freaked out by it. <laughs> we would call our neighbor to actually shoot them if they were too big. So it was it was insane. But when they, but you would like hear them, you would like hear them in the house like slithering. Like did they ever slither into your room? I I never saw one in my room um but my one of the stories that my mom would tell is when she when I was a baby she had laid me on the couch and she picks me up for some reason and like as she was picking me up a big black snake fell right to where I was laying <laughs> I'm like oh oh my god that's I insane I I don't know what I my, one of my biggest fears are snakes. And actually the other, like, actually, when was it? Like two months ago, a month ago? I don't know. But I was running outside on the boardwalk outside of our building. And I saw a, a big snake slither, like, across the across the boardwalk. And I turned right around. And I went right back upstairs. And that was the end of my run. And I was like, I can't, I, I can't do that. <laughs> yes, I am the terrified. same way. We have, I mean, we just That's- have little garter snakes here where I live in Ohio now. But every time I see one, I am like yeah. utterly disgusted and I can't even be outside. I have to go in. It's just like shakes me up really bad to see one now. Well, you have a bad experience with that growing up. I know. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. They're like, you can't, you can't hurt snakes. They're not going to hurt you. And I'm like, well, our reaction to snakes in the South is just to kill and move on. Oh oh my God. Yeah. I don't understand. I know if I saw a snake yet, I sorry for anybody listening who doesn't think this, but like I would kill it. (laughs) I'm I'm with you on that. I think my biggest fear is when we go and buy a house, uh, in Miami at some point, um, you know, I'll probably see a snake or two in in the yard or something like that. And my, my boyfriend is from Miami and he tells me stories too about snakes and everything. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I could do it. I I just don't know. And that's like part of the reason why I don't want to get a house yet is because he travels a lot. And I know that I'm going to be there by myself a lot. And I'll, if I see a snake, I honestly, I, I'll get in the car and leave. I don't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do. I know. Yeah. I, I, here I don't do anything because I know they won't hurt you. I just kind of, kind of like walk away (laughs) and just like grab the kids. Like, okay, we're going to go inside. And there was one day that we were just walking around our yard. We have about two acres here and my son is in a dinosaur face. So he was like, mommy, dinosaur, mommy, dinosaur. And I'm like, what is he seeing a dinosaur? Like what on earth? He's looking in the middle of a cornfield. How is he seeing a dinosaur? And there was a snake sitting up eating a big bug. And I was like, nope, that is not a dinosaur. We are going in the house. (laughs) Nope. That is so funny. Okay. Well, I want to talk more about your childhood because that's like, this is so, it's very, it's, it's, it, I think a lot of people can learn from this. So a lot of people, I feel like, equate happiness with money, right? So going back to your childhood, would you say that it was, you had, you grew up like with a happy childhood, even though you might have had snakes and um, just very little? I mean, yeah, I would say that overall, my childhood was happy, especially, um, until I was in a, you know, middle school and high school, I didn't even know that we, you know, were different really, but we didn't have a lot of money because my mom, yeah, my mom never really made it seem like that. I mean, looking back now, I can see like, yeah, clearly we didn't have any, any money, but at the time I had no idea, you know, we would play outside. 
um, with the snakes and the bears. Apparently they don't care. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we'd play outside all day. Um, You know, we'd make up our own games. Um, We used our imagination a lot. I mean, we had, we had toys. My mom, my mom would make sure we had toys, but a lot of the times we just, we spent a lot of time um, outside and it wasn't until about middle school when I was, um, started being kind of made fun of for, for being poor. I mean, the entire area in general is, is poor, um, especially compared to where I live now. But I mean, $6,000 a year is, is like beyond the poverty line. Um, so we were a little bit more poor than normal poor people, I would say. Um, so yeah, when I started getting, I'm sorry. What happened when you went to middle school and high school? Um, well, when I went to, well, actually our middle school and elementary school were all together because our town isn't big enough for middle school. Um, but yeah, when I yeah. went to, when I started in middle school and I guess I could, I could finally kind of understand, I was being made fun of a lot. Um, I, especially for like my clothing, because I, I didn't have, not only did I not have like, you know, brand name clothing, but I kind of had the same outfits. So I wore the same outfits, not every day, but you know, I would have like maybe four or five outfits and that's what I wore. Um, and so whenever I, I got something new, like if I got a hand-me-down or my sister would sometimes take me shopping, then I would have something new and everyone would comment on it in like a snarky way. Like, Oh, look, you got a new shirt or nice new shoes you got there, Jennifer. And, um, I have incredibly curly hair and, uh, we, I mean, we just didn't always have the means to take care of it. So sometimes it wasn't always well kept and it was cut funky so that I could take care of it easier. Sometimes I even had cornrows just so that I wouldn't have to take care of it. Um, and I would, I would get made fun of all the time for that. And I wasn't, I mean, I, I mean, it was to the point that I wasn't even able to get like the 50 cent ice creams every Friday that everyone else got. So everyone's eating their ice cream and I'm kind of just sitting there not. And that's, you know, that's kind of just me like, why, why can't I have an ice cream? You know, everyone then knows I can't afford 50 cents for an ice cream. So that kind of led to everyone just sectioning me out. And I, I mean, I didn't have friends pretty much my entire, entire like childhood until I was about 18. When I finally started to kind of branch out, my friends weren't even in my hometown. That's terrible. First of all, like, how did you respond to that? I just, I, well, obviously like part of my story is that I was bullied really badly growing up and I just think it's unacceptable and I, and I don't tolerate it, but how did you react to that? when, when they were, when they would say those snarky comments and what did you do? Um, honestly, I, I was kind of really just an introverted person because of that. So I, I mean, I didn't retaliate. I didn't say anything back. I didn't, um, I didn't like tell on them or anything like that, but I kind of used that as a driving force to, to want to leave the area to make my life better so that I didn't have to continue living that lifestyle. So even though I didn't do anything at the time, I think that if it hadn't have been maybe for, for that and for people kind of making me feel terrible, then I'm, I may not have left and I may not have the life that I have now. So it gave you strength and you used it for, for the good. Yeah. 
pretty much. I mean, looking back at it now, I see as that's what it is because whenever I started in high school and I started to get like super made fun of and I was super upset all the time, I would kind of just internalize that and use it as a personal retaliation to get to get good grades and to do everything I possibly could to get out. I feel like that builds character and and you're right. Like if it weren't for those things that happened, like I always say, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. Actually, I yeah. think Steve Jobs is the one that said that, not me. <laughs> um, but it's true. Like when you're going through rough times or people are, you know, making fun of you or whatever's happening, like when you look back like years later or months later, whatever it is, you can see like, oh my God, I gained this strength because of this, or I gained this because of that. And I'm grateful for it. And it shapes mm -hmm. you into the person that you are. And I think that's, that's amazing because not, and the other thing is that it also depends, you know, your, the outcome depends on how you choose to handle the situation and you chose to handle it in a really positive way and to improve yourself and to create a life that you wanted. So tell us about your journey when, when you went off on your own and you left high school, what did you want to do and what did you do? Um, well, when I left high school, um, I wanted to be a journalist. So all through high school, my entire goal was to like be a journalist in a big city. Like I literally, I wanted the exact opposite of where I was living in a county of 16,000 people. I wanted to be in a big city where no one knew me. Um, where I could start fresh. And then I ended up moving to Ashland, Ohio, where there are like a little bit more people than where I came from. <laughs> so, but it was still like yeah. kind of a city. It was still kind of a city to me because I, I, I didn't even venture out for like a month because I was terrified of all the stop lights. And people laugh at me all the time for that. But I'm telling you, it was terrifying. But I wanted... Oh my God, <laughs> you're not used to it. Yeah, it was. it was... It was crazy. Um, but I, yeah, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and then I, I got to college. I was accepted into, into several different colleges. I mean, I had, I had like a 4.1 GPA, so I was accepted pretty much everywhere, but, um, I, I don't remember why I chose Ashland. I'm, I'm not even going to lie because I didn't even know Ashland existed and they sent me something in the mail. But I mean, it all worked yeah. out. Obviously there was a plan because I met my husband and I have a life here now. So, um, anyway, yeah. I, yeah, I definitely, I came to Ashland. Um, I actually ended up changing my major. So I graduated with degrees in biology, toxicology, and chemistry. Um, and that's, I mean, that's really what I wanted to do when I, when I left, um, the area that I came from, the, the culture is just, they have such a sense of place, so you, they don't trust outsiders. It's literally like their own culture. Like there's, there's no outsiders. No one comes in because they're not, they're not really welcome. They can feel they're not welcome and they don't, they don't trust anyone on the outside. So they don't venture out. So to leave the area is extremely rare and to succeed outside of the area is even rarer. So, um, even when I, even when I left, um, I was excited to leave. So I never had this, you know, this feeling of like anxious. I mean, I was anxious, but I never had this feeling of like, I'm going to be a wreck. Like if I leave here, I've lost my sense of self. I've n I never had that feeling. I knew there were better things for me and that this, this town and the, these people were not, 
were not my entire story. Um, so leaving, I was, ex I was excited. Um, and my mom and my sister were supposed to go with me, but my mom actually decided not to go. Like that's, that is how much of a sense of place that my culture has is that my mom wouldn't even go with me to college to say goodbye to me. She wanted to stay right in her house. So wow. yeah, my, yeah, my, I know. And she did eventually, she came to my wedding. So that was, That's that was exciting. I know, what, but yeah, she they think? just, she, well, th this is going to sound incredibly funny because my mom is not very, well, my mom was not very well educated. Um, she could, she could barely read and write, but the only thing that she kept saying was the sky is on the wall because in Virginia, where I'm from, there's mountains, there's mountains everywhere. So the sky looks like it's higher. Right. And when you come to Ohio, there's no mountains. There's so no the mountains. sky, yeah, it looks like the sky is the wall. And she just couldn't get over that. That's all she talked about was how the sky <laughs> was like a wall. It was, it was rather entertaining. Um, but yeah, she really was interesting. I know. And I never thought about it. I, I guess that wasn't something that I had, I had grasped, you know, I mean, after she said it, it made sense, but it was just interesting to me that that is, that is what she could talk about. That is what she tells, tells people when she's, when they ask her how her visit to Ohio was. Um, but she was, <laughs> I know. It's all interesting because like when you're so, when when you've only been in one place and that's all you're exposed to, it's so interesting to think about like once you leave, you know, like what it's actually like, like what people think once they actually leave. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was a lot for me. I mean, I, I don't think I really understood when I left how different the world was. Um, there were a lot of, of cultural, I wasn't exposed to other to other ethnicities, like where I'm from is, is, is primarily white. So I wasn't exposed to other ethnicities. Um, we have literally our own language. So I would say things and no one would know what I'm saying. Even now, my husband and I argue about what something should and shouldn't be called. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was hard to kind of adjust to that. And when I moved here, I had such such a bad accent that a lot of people couldn't understand me. They couldn't understand what I was saying. Um, and I kind of, I've lost my accent a lot, but when I talk to other people from, from my hometown, I kind of feel that now. Like I, it's really hard for me to understand what they're saying, even though I lived there for 18 years and I should, um, it was, right. it was kind of a cultural barrier. So having, having um, meetings with my professors was a little bit more difficult just because they didn't understand what I was saying. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was completely, it was completely different than living out where I uh, living out back home. And I think the thing that I noticed the most was just the sheer amount of opportunities elsewhere, because in my County and my general area, there just aren't jobs. Like it's, it's so poor because there aren't jobs and the jobs there are, there are thousands of people trying to get. So I move here and there are all of these stores, all of these factories, all of these various jobs that 
that anyone could go and get. And so I just, I saw this immense opportunity, like you could literally get a job anywhere here. And even when I hear people complaining about not being able to get a job down there, I'm always trying to encourage them. I'm like, you, you maybe not down there, but I'm telling you elsewhere, you can find a good job. You just have to kind of look elsewhere. Like you can't be stuck think, there. Yeah. Do you think that perspective is what empowered you to start your own business and go into the entrepreneur, entrepreneur world? Um. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I really, when I first got pregnant with my son, I was working about an hour away from here. Here I am talking about all the opportunities <laughs> near me and I'm working yeah. an hour away. Um, but it was just, it was a really good position um, and good pay. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I was, and we were looking for a house in between at the time. But I, when I got pregnant with my son, I just, I kind of realized that I didn't want to be working because where I come from, stay-at-home moms pretty much don't exist. I mean, like they're all they're out doing something, like they're trying to find a job, they're working dead-end jobs, or they're just not home with mm -hmm. their kids. Like they're a lot of grandparents are raising kids. And I my mom worked night shift. Um, and so I was kind of flipped around from my sister's house to a neighbor's house. And, um, I, even looking back at my childhood, I can't remember where I was for all of it. So I really wanted to be home and to have impact on my kids. And so starting mm -hmm. my own business and working my way up just as an entrepreneur allows me to do that. They, it allows me to be home with them all day, um, to take them to events, to teach them things. And that is what I wanted. What has been the biggest obstacle coming from your hometown to Ohio? I know we've talked about a couple of them so far, but what would you say has been the biggest obstacle that you faced along your journey? Because you completely changed your life and your lifestyle yeah. and everything about I mean, it. it. Yeah, it really did. Um, so I think um, the biggest one, I think, ironically, is probably money because I have... I have what I say is a poor relationship with money because um, it kind of stresses me out. <laughs> and I think that is just coming from, from, you know, a household in which we literally had to stress about money. When I was in high school and I finally understood, you know, there at the end of the month, food was getting tight. And, you know, my mom would say, you can't, I remember one time I wanted to buy grapes and she wouldn't let me buy grapes because grapes are too expensive. So, I mean, it's just, it's just little things like that, that kind of give you anxiety and stress um, about money. And so now I, I still have that. So I, it's something that's $3. My husband's like, oh, it's only $3. And I'm over here hyperventilating because it's $3. <laughs> like, right. And so, yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's something that I'm definitely working on um, is changing my mindset on money. Um, but it's kind of, hindering me a little bit because it, it, it's making me not want to outsource in my business, um, not wanting to spend money on useful tools for my business. Um, and it's definitely giving me a lot of anxiety, um, just trying to, trying to manage that. Um, and then so what my mindset, tip, mindset tips are you, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you're fine. I just have, a, I have so many questions for you. Sorry. Go continue what you were saying. <laughs> I honestly don't even remember what I was saying now. I was going to move into another obstacle that I had, but we can talk about the money mindset. 
Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, what are some tips that you have for people? Because there's a lot of people that struggle with it. And I want to know what tips and what tools you're using to help yourself improve your mindset and overcome that. Um, I am, I'm really trying to focus on abundance. Um, and thank you, Jen Sincero, for, <laughs> for your lovely books oh my, that have helped me with this. I know. They're I love her. Great. They I'm, are. And so I'm reading the money one. I actually haven't even read the money one. These are just things I got from her regular. Um, I don't forget the name of it. You're a badass. Um, I have, you know, what? I have it sitting on, 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 uh, no, it's in my drawer. I would go and get it, but, um, but I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I read and that yeah, one already. So I know. I, yeah, it was, it was great. And I'm just focusing on, um, an abundance mindset in that because she's right. I mean, I, you always have the actual ability to make more money. You know, you always have the ability to go out and get a second job, to sell something you already have. Like the money is always sitting there. It's just not until you need it that you find it. Right. So, yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. And that, for whatever reason, that resonated with me so much and kind of helped me change this around because before I thought of money as like a limited asset, like what I had, I had to cherish and I had to keep saved and I couldn't use it for anything, but just, I just knowing that money is technically abundant has really helped me, um, change my views on money and, and help me to kind of outsource a little bit more. And then I don't even remember where it might even be her, but just knowing that money is abundant, but time is not. So do I want to spend money with you to get tools that will allow me to spend more time with my kids or doing something I want to do? Um, because I can, you know, I can spend the money, I can earn it back, but I can't earn back the time that I use to manually do that. That's really, really, really good. That's a really good tip and a really good way to put things in perspective. Like I find that to be super valuable because I feel like a lot of things in life are all about mindset. And when you put that into perspective, it, it changes the decisions that you make to get closer to what you want, whether that's spending more time with your kids or um, doing more things for your business or whatever it is you want. It's all about putting it in perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that completely changed my life and some of my anxiety level just just knowing that my, my priority now is time with my kids, even though I have a business I or you, two businesses. Two actually. businesses yeah. Right? Yeah. So even though, yeah, I do, I have two businesses. I do business coaching too. And that's pretty time intensive since I'm on the phone a lot, but yeah, I right. just doing whatever I can to, um, to make my time valuable to make sure my time is spent with my kids and with family here. Um, and I, I really value time that I get to spend, um, with my church family and, and doing things at the church. So, um, yeah, just, I, time has really, that whole perspective of time versus money has changed the way that I live my life. That's amazing. 
everything. I think that's so valuable. And I feel like just that, like that mindset that what everything you just said, like people could put that down in like a little post-it note and keep that on their desk or keep it in their phone own or keep it on their bathroom mirror and if you look at that every day it'll help you to shift the way you make decisions because I feel like money is such a big stressor for so many people especially since so many people attach money to happiness but really what what makes people happy is the time that they spend doing what they love and I think that you're going about this the right way and really logically is that the, I don't know if that's the right word for this, but really logically, and it, it's it's something that I think a lot of people will find very useful. So that's really great advice. And then you started, a, so you do business coaching, and I know you specialize in click funnels and all of that. How did you get into that too? Because you wanted to go to school for journalism, and now and then you have the Etsy shop, and you were doing all like you come from this small little town, and now you are doing all these amazing things, and like I, it's incredible. So tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I actually started with my Etsy shop about almost six years ago now. Um, And my first Etsy shop was really successful in terms of um, my income, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. as successful in terms of how much time I was spending. Again, time versus money. Now that I look back at that, um, I was spending so much time and burning myself out, trying to get orders out. um, And because I... I focused more on getting more orders, so quantity over quality. So I wanted more orders for a less for a less amount as opposed to charging more and getting less orders. Um, I I was burnout. I didn't have the funds to be able to refund everyone that I had orders for, and so I really um, I really just stressed myself out with that business and by the time I was done, my son was one. And I was, I was literally like, I can never look at an embroidery machine again. I am done. Um, and then I don't remember how, but somehow I was opened up to this world of custom fabric and it is amazing stuff. And it's what I make all of our clothes out of. And that, that business also, um, did really well. I did not use Etsy at all when I started that business. So I used only Facebook groups and email marketing and I made $38,000 in six months, just, just advertising on my Facebook group, not actually paying for advertising, not having a website, um, and emailing the people that were a part of my group to let them know I had regular pre-orders and things like that. And again, that business was really successful, but I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how to be productive. I didn't know how to work with two kids. I had a newborn at the time. I was moving. We were remodeling a house. I mean, I just, I had no idea how to do any of that. Uh, So January of this year, actually 2019, I shut that business down for a little while. And I kind of just, I did a lot of self-reflection. I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of research. Um, And then I, um, opened, reopened my Etsy shop. And now it only has ready to ship items in it. So I have items that are already made. They're in whatever sizes I make them in. I usually, um, kind of go with the trends. I know what sizes sell the most. So I usually make most of those. Um, yeah. And yeah. And so then it's, it's ready to ship. So people love that. They love that, you know, they can get this custom made item, but not have to wait six weeks for it because that's how long it takes custom made fabric to come in. So they can get it in two days oh and they, yeah. And they love that. I, and so then, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah so then it kind of made me um, think, well, you know, 
A lot of people don't really understand the importance of being productive and having an awesome email list. Even though, even if your email list is small, a lot of people don't understand how to use that to make a lot of sales. And so now I specialize and I'm even certified in um, running email campaigns, setting up your email funnels so that they're directly targeting exactly who you want to go straight through your funnel and purchase your product. You are aiming specifically for your ideal client and how that can make your, even if you have like 50 people on your email list, how targeting those specific 50 people can make a huge impact on your business as long as they are the right customer. So actually narrowing down my customer base into people who are fans, people who actually love my work, who love what I do, makes me have a larger income because of that. I'm not wasting my time trying to get people that don't care what I do involved. And it's it's made a huge difference. So yeah, I offer, um, right now I offer business coaching where I help you set up your funnel. Um, I teach you how to set up your funnel. I teach you how to do the email marketing, what you should send your list to get sales. Um, I teach you basic intentional productivity and 90 day goal planning. Um, and I'm getting ready to launch my, um, email funnel review. So if you already have an email funnel set up, then, um, I can review the copy and see if it's going to convert well for you. So yeah, I'm super excited. I love email marketing and I love email copy. I think it's so important too. And I think I, well, I'm a big believer in email marketing. Um, and I think that it can be very profitable and it was for me and for my business too. And I think that it's really inspiring because here you came from this small town and you built your way up and you had the learning curves, but you overcame it and you took the time to reflect, to figure out, okay, like, where can I improve? And you educated yourself and you, and which is so important is continually educating yourself. And now you learned how to do it the right way. And it's just really inspiring, like your entire journey, because I don't know, but when you were younger, did you ever expect like that this is where you would end up? No, I, I absolutely did not. But it's kind of funny because I, when I was really little, I wanted to be a fashion designer in a big city. So I'm not in a big city, but I do make clothes. Right. And I wanted to be a journalist in a big city. And, and even though I'm not in a big city, I do write blog posts and email copies. So, I mean, it kind of worked out a little bit. I, I think about that all the time, but I, yeah, I had no yeah, idea. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's so funny. Um, but I, I had no idea that I would, I would be here. I, I knew I would go to college, but I honestly didn't know where I would end up after that. You know, where, where would I go once I'm done with college and I don't have a place yeah. to live kind of thing, you know, but I, I met my husband and, um, it, it all worked out perfectly. Like I, I couldn't change anything if I wanted to. So yeah, it was, that's incredible. It was, and especially it's scary to take that leap and that risk, but you did it. Yeah. I mean, it was, and I, I have been scared just about every step in my process, in my journey of life. Um, but I look back at where I have come from and what I have done. And that helps give me courage to go on to the next big thing. And the only way to reach, you know, new levels and to get closer to what you want is to continuously be uncomfortable in whatever situation it is. And I feel like that's a 
really key, a key component to success. So what advice would you give to someone who isn't necessarily living their ideal life or they want to make a change? What would the first step be? What would you suggest to them? Um, honestly, I would just say, go for it. Like just do it because the more time you spend analyzing it and dreaming about it, the less time that you have to actually implement it. Um, so just, just whatever is making you the most uncomfortable, just step out, do it, take the first step to doing it. Um, and if you break it down into little steps, it's a lot easier to actually get where you're going as opposed to you know, reading a hundred books about it and reading 4,000 blog posts, just, just do it. Just go for it. Failure is not failure. It's feedback. Whatever, you know, whatever you don't succeed at, you will learn from and you'll be better the next time. That's a really great advice. And I feel like everybody should definitely write that down. And I so appreciate you being here. You are such an inspiration. Everyone should definitely go and check you out. Um, I will link all of your information in the podcast notes. And everybody listening, if you are just as inspired as I was, you have to go download Jennifer's Goal Setting Planner. I'm going to link it in the show notes. She's an incredible sales funnel specialist, as you can tell. And she's making a huge impact amongst many entrepreneurs to go after exactly what they want and profit from it. And it's something that she's really learned how to do. So Jennifer, before we go, would you let everyone know where they can find you? Like I said, I'll still link it, but for those people who don't read the podcast notes, uh, they can hear it here. Yeah, absolutely. You can find my blog and my contact information at www.coffeeandcreativityblog.com. Perfect. All right. And I will link everything else below and thank you so much for being here. And this has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Yes, I love this. 